say the right things today. Uh, help me to, to speak faithfully to the text. Help me to preach the gospel. Help me to hear the prompting of the Spirit as I go. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. I did start that recording, right? Okay. It's don't don't hit any of the mask things. I don't want to have weird faces, but uh, <laughs> oh, I have had <clears throat> I have had the last couple of weeks have been just like terrible for me, right? I've had very stressful couple of weeks. I have been sick. I hate being sick, but not sick enough to justify staying home. You know what I mean? I've had that cold, so I'm coughing and I'm tired. And I'm kind of miserable, and I'm sitting at my desk and getting nothing done. And since it's a cold, I took a couple days to sleep, and it didn't help. Because you can't sleep a cold off. It's a virus. Like, it's just going to go as long as it's going to go. And so, like, I, I have been unproductive. I've had a few things pop up that have really stressed me out. I have been cranky and angry and frustrated. I, when I am having a bad week, I walk. Like, so if you see me out walking, in fact, a couple of people from the church have seen me out walking way out in the country and pulled over and asked what, what I was doing. Um, I get frustrated. I go for a walk and I talk to God and that's, and I gripe, um, potentially at God, potentially inward. I don't know. Um, but I, uh, I, I, this morning I, I went for a walk to kind of get in the right mindset because I, I was cranky this morning too. And I had a bunch of stuff that sort of came up in my head, and I'm going to try and cover all this, and I'm going to try and do it right, but buckle up, I don't know where we're going. Okay? Um, I, uh, I had to change shoes this morning because I've walked so many miles in the last few days that my feet hurt. And so I'm wearing my running shoes, right? But don't worry, we're going to get back to that. Um, Friday, uh, my wife and I went out, and I was in a bad mood then. And we went to uh, Roadhouse, which is, like, I've discovered there are two or three things I do when I'm really in a terrible mood, and they generally lift my spirit. And so we went to to Roadhouse, and I ate way too much junk food. Not junk food, it is treasure. (laughs) But it's not healthy treasure. But we sat at the counter. It's interesting, because we walked in, and one of the guys standing at the counter, oh, it's the preacher man coming to eat with us. And it, it, it was my cheers moment for the day. And we sat at the counter, and all the waitresses know us, and the owners know us. And, and so we laugh and talk, and by the time I leave there, I'm in a good mood. Because it is a place like that, that people just know us, and they're friendly, and they're loving, and they're wonderful. And then we went to the comic book store, which I'll admit I'm kind of a geek. I don't, whatever. I'm not very mature. But the people know us there, and they were, oh, hey, Eric. And we hung out there way too long and talked and laughed and By the time we left, I was in a really good mood. And I I was thinking about it. As we get into the text today, um, I realize there is an element of the church that ought to be like that. Like a bad day, the first place I should go is to like my brothers and sisters, right? Like I should be able to laugh with y'all. I should be able to talk. I should be able to unload. I shouldn't have to worry, oh, I'm a pastor, and so i got to kind of keep this stuff in, you know? And, and I, I shouldn't have to, like, be perfect. Um, and, and, and I'm going to say this. I mean, I say it a lot. Like, I'm not perfect, and I'm not hardly good. And, and you know, I'm lucky that God lets me do this. Um, 
and, and I, I love y'all, and so I'm not being critical of y'all, but like as we, as we dive into the text today, and this is going to relate, we're going to, I think, I hope, buckle up, um, all of this is going to tie together in the end. Like Part of what God is calling us to do is to be the body, the body of Christ in action, where we love each other kind of no matter what, right? Where when we're stumbling and screwing up, we still love each other. When we're hurting and miserable, we still love each other. When we're dragging, we're the people that we come together with and we laugh and we, we enjoy life, right? Like, this is what the church is supposed to be. And I, I was thinking about that, like the cheers thing, because after leaving Roadhouse that day, I thought about cheers. And how, like, there's sort of this weird image of, like, this perfect world where you could go to a place over and over again and they would always accept you and always welcome you and always love you and everything else. And that's what we're supposed to be, right? The body of Christ in action should be that. This is what we're supposed to be, folks. Um, And so as we kind of get into our text, understand this is my background for all of this. Um, This is me talking about this text on the end of a frustrating week. But I did study and I did meditate and I did everything else, and now I'm doing something different. Uh, The series so far, we have been talking about, um, in our series so far, what we've been talking about is uh, the body of Christ. We started out talking about the body of Christ as the body of Christ, and like that the body of Christ is, um, you know, theologically, this is like sort of this incarnation. It's not running, is it? Should I start over? Uh, no! <laughs> uh, the body of Christ, um, the body of Christ, the church, what we are, you know, we are like Jesus's incarnate body in the world. Our job is to do his work. Our job is to be Jesus to folks. Our job is to do this stuff. And so, like, as we get into this, like, like this is where we've been going. We've talked a little bit in the last few weeks about, like, in this Body of Christ in Action series, we're working through acts. We've talked about being open and honest to the point of miserable, which is hard, right? And it's dangerous, and it's vulnerable, and it's something we don't do well, right? Or is it just me? Like, <laughs> um, we've, talked about, uh, we've talked about a lot of things in relation to this inaction part. Um, we are going to be talking about Stephen today, uh, or not Stephen, I'm sorry. Uh, Stephen actually came up last week in the deacons section of this sermon series. And uh, this passage picks up right as Stephen is executed. Like he is dragged out and like stoned to death. And the Apostle Paul is there, or actually Saul at the time before he becomes the Apostle Paul. And he presides over it and then he kicks off the persecution of the early church. And that is the context of the beginning of this Acts 8. Acts 8 is right as the church begins to scatter. And so before this, the church has just been in Jerusalem. It has been focused and concentrated and has grown around the place where Jesus was resurrected uh, and crucified and everything else. And people, like, know the story. They didn't go somewhere else and say, hey, you know what happened over there? They said, hey, remember what happened a few weeks ago? This is what God did. And, like, so they're preaching the good news in Jerusalem, and they begin to scatter. Um, Now, there are two people we're going to meet, or a group of people and a person we're going to meet, and and it's important to understand some stuff here. Um, The Jews in the first century didn't play well with others. Let's put it that way. They were not very good at being friends with people who were not like them, right? Um, We're going to talk about Samaritans for a little bit today. And to understand the Samaritans, the Samaritans are the folks who lived in the northern end of what was Israel, like when, when Joshua set up shop, you know, when they conquered the promised land. 
the kingdom split. The people in the northern kingdom were the Jews who stopped being mostly Jewish and became like slightly Jewish and mostly pagan. Got it? And they, uh, the Jewish folks hated Samaritans, right? In the first century, the, there were rabbis that would debate about like big questions and the question of who is your neighbor. The one thing that every Jew agreed on was that Samaritans were never your neighbors. You were more allowed to love Romans than Samaritans, according to first century Jews. You would walk to the other side of the street and you would spit when you saw a Samaritan, right? When you left Samaria, like if you were a Jew and you cut across Samaria, it's like cutting across Michael's yard. He's out there, get off my lawn. Um, You would get to the edge of the property and you would kick the dust off your feet so you didn't bring any of that filthy Samaritan dirt into Israel. They hate these guys. Got it? And actually, if you read that as the context where Jesus talks to the Samaritan woman, and she's like, what are you talking to me for? I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew, right? And then she starts challenging him because she knows Jewish folks hate her. Um, it, it, anyway, so that, and we're going to talk about a eunuch. And this eunuch, like in, the, in Jewish culture, eunuchs were not allowed to participate in temple worship. They were not allowed in the temple. There was a dividing line, a gate. They could come this close, no further, and they could execute you if you did. Got it? <laughs> like they were not nice. Um, they were not allowed in the assembly. They were like looked down on. They were second-class citizens because they were eunuchs. Um, if you don't know what a eunuch is, uh, I, I got nothing for you. I'm sorry. <laughs> Everybody knows, right? I don't have to get into this. Ask your parents. Um, so we're diving into Acts 8. There's a lot of background. Watch this. All right, so Acts 8, we're starting out in the very beginning just to fill in the context. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. By the way, the advantage of that happening is... Suddenly, you've got people going out and telling folks about Jesus all over the world. And so, like, people being scattered is good because they're out preaching the gospel. They're in Judea, which is where the Jews mostly live, but they're also in Samaria. So they're going out amongst the folks that nobody likes, right, that the Jewish folks don't like. The Jewish folks look and say, you are not welcome here. And so they're scattered out amongst these folks. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul who becomes Paul later, began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip, who is our main character for the day, went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Those who had been... Oh, I'm sorry, I already did that one. All right. Um, So Philip goes out and he goes to Samaria and he begins preaching the gospel. And what he has essentially done is he has taken the established order of things and he has flipped it upside down. Got it? This is a man who um, I I believe Philip was Jewish originally. Uh, If he wasn't Jewish originally, he was a God-fearer before he became a a, a Christian. And so like he's sort of in that Jewish spectrum. Um, He has come to Samaria. He's come amongst the most hated folks that, like, the Jewish people knew. And he has told them about Christ. And he has performed miracles for them. 
This is a big deal. Everybody with me? This is him going out amongst the folks who are not like us. The people who are not even just not like us, but they're mostly pagans. Um, I went to Tel Dan when I was in Israel. This is like this city way up in the north. It was the capital of the northern kingdom. And there's this spot where you can go and you can see where they would sacrifice bulls and, and other animals to like the pagan god. Right? And there was this whole pagan religion that grew up around um, a rebellion against the southern kingdom. Like, like, and they fought wars against each other. And they spent a lot of time killing each other and disliking each other. There are a lot of really nasty things said about the Samaritans. Sumerians are like the northern kingdom, and then later the Sumerians. Um, these guys are totally hated. Um, and so there Philip is, and he's preaching the gospel. He's welcoming in folks that are not welcome. Um, he's doing what the church should do. Follow me here, right? He's doing what the church should do. Um, and here's how. First off, he's going to the people who are unloved. He's going to the people who are unwelcome. He's going to the people who don't belong, and he's saying, guess what? The doors are open, and you're welcome here now. Guess what? The God you thought hated you sent his son to die for you. The God who created the entire world and whose people have hated you and called you dogs and spit at you and everything else, that God sent his son to be scourged and humiliated and and hung on a cross and punished for your sins so that you can be right with him. And you are family now. Like, just follow Jesus and you're one of us, right? Now, understand this. It was hard to become a Jew if you weren't a Jew in the ancient world. It was difficult. There was a many-year process you went through, including circumcision, which I... I'm just saying, like, not an easy thing. Um, they would also have to be baptized. Um, early baptism was associated with all kinds of different religions. Christians didn't create the concept. Um, but it is something that, that was done, like, as a part of coming into the church uh, or into the Jewish faith. And so, like, he goes there and he does this thing. He loves the unlovable. He welcomes the unwelcome. The other thing he did was he went. This is what the church should be doing. Watch this and hear me say this. I'm pretty sure good Philip, you know, Philip, who was a good Jew, was told, go to those people and tell them about Jesus. And maybe the first thing he thought was the Samaritans. I mean, it'd be an easy thing to think, right? And then he went. Um, he went to the guys that, that, that probably his whole life he'd been taught not to like. Um, and he preached the gospel there. Uh, there's a line in, and I was praying this morning, this kind of came into my head, and so if it fits, uh, praise God, if not, I'm sorry, I'm flaky, I'm having a bad morning. Um, this is in uh, Ephesians 6, watch this. Paul is talking about putting on the full armor of God, right? Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Um, this is an interesting passage because, 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 because um, it's a play on the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 52, right? Where it says, you know, beautiful are the feet um, of those bringing good news or on the mountains of those bringing good news. And it's like a reference to the fact that like even the feet of a man who comes to tell you good news look good. 
right? And like if you're traveling on a dusty road in sandals, your feet don't look good, right? And for the most part, our feet don't look good. Can we all agree on that? Feet are gross. Feet smell bad. Feet, you know, like you don't want to touch other people's feet. That is all over the map. We don't want that. But like what Paul is doing here, he's saying, listen, um, the gospel should make you ready to run to the next opportunity. The gospel should make you ready to run to the next battle. The gospel should prepare you, give you readiness and a firm foundation to step into difficult things and do it. And so when Philip is told, hey, go to Samaria, preach the gospel, Philip puts on his running shoes, right? And what does he do? He goes. He heads out and he preaches the gospel to people who? He was probably uncomfortable with. He probably wasn't all that excited to go and do this. Um, my slides keep kicking off. Is that because you're working on them? Because I, I kind of need them. Um, <coughs> Acts, uh, all right, so this is still in chapter 8. We're jumping ahead. In the meantime, so of all of the people who've gathered around, there's a fellow named Simon. And Simon is a, anybody know? He's a sorcerer. He's a guy who went out and using like pagan arts, would perform magic and all kinds of other things, and he tries to buy the Holy Spirit, and they kick him out. But the crazy thing about that is, and we're not going through that part of the text, I'm just sort of touching on it real quick, Simon was a sorcerer, and guess where he was welcomed? In the church. Because then he was, like, around them enough to offer money. Like, they were, like, going to baptize him, and he was about to be a part of the whole deal. And he's like, hey, let me pay you for this miraculous ability. And they're like, no, 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 no. Get out of here. You're not, that, you're not doing that. But they welcomed a sorcerer in. Why? Because it doesn't matter how dirty, how filthy, how ugly, how broken your history, you're welcome. Because Christ makes you clean. You don't have to clean up your life to follow Jesus. Jesus makes you clean when you follow him. We welcome you in the door. We preach the gospel. And we, you're a part of us. Um, because Christ cleans us. Except that Simon was obviously kind of all over the map. Um, so 26. We're picking up. Now an angel. So he's been, Philip is there. He's preaching. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip. Philip. That's actually said to Philip. Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all of the treasury of the Kandaki, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And so the Spirit says, go. And what does Philip do? Pulls on his running shoes. They were probably a lot less fancy than mine. And he goes, right? He didn't say, oh, I got important work here. Whoa, what do you want me in the desert for? Whoa, I don't want to go talk to that Ethiopian. He's not one of us. I don't want to talk to that guy. He's a eunuch. Um, They sent him. Like Philip put on his running shoes and he went. He followed the direction Um, He was willing to go, and he went, and he went amongst folks, again, he would be uncomfortable with. Historically, eunuchs, not really well looked upon. Um, By the way, you would become a eunuch. You wouldn't generally choose to become a eunuch. It was a very unusual career. Um, Folks were made into eunuchs for the specific reason that eunuchs are not, uh, they're not very aggressive, right? 
and and they like so you might have eunuchs to tend to your like queen because then you know the eunuch's not going to do anything, right? And so your queen is safe. Or your treasury, you might have a eunuch take care of the treasury because a eunuch was less likely to overthrow the government or to steal or what have you. And so they would alter men so that they, you know, were docile and they would, you know, they would do what they were supposed to do. And so this guy is a high official. He's in a chariot. We don't really think much about that. But in this time and place, a chariot is a very, very expensive mode of transportation. Everybody with me? This is like a Mercedes and not a crappy Mercedes like mine. This is like a good Mercedes. <laughs> this is this is a brand new Mercedes, right? He is a wealthy man and he is there. And what's he doing? He's reading the book of the prophet Isaiah. Now, first off, it's kind of a happy coincidence or like God lined it up and made it happen that way. Probably God lined it up and made it happen that way. So this guy's reading the book of Isaiah. Um, if you owned a copy of the book of Isaiah, you were probably incredibly wealthy. Everybody with me? This is a guy who is influential and he is rich. Like, not a little rich, a lot rich. If you had a copy of the entire Old Testament, you were rich beyond words. Um, it was generally the case that a large town, not a big sandy-sized town, no offense, but maybe like a haver-sized town, um, would have a copy, a copy, a copy of the, of the Old Testament, like the Torah. Um, and so for this man to have a copy of his own is not a small thing. He would have spent a fortune. Um, in fact, copies of these books were so like difficult and expensive that you would keep them covered. And when you brought them out to read them, you wouldn't touch the paper lest you smudge it or the acid on your fingers damage it or you like dishonor it in some way. And so you would have a little stick with a finger on it. It's true. You see them, like in, in Israel, you can see like artifacts, and then you can actually buy them because they still use them. A little stick with a hand and a finger, and you'd use that to follow along on the page because you couldn't touch the page yourself. Um, so an incredibly wealthy man with a copy of the book of Isaiah, which means he was probably a God-fearer. He was probably not Jewish. You know why? He was a eunuch, and he's from Ethiopia. So it would have been incredibly difficult for him to become a Jew, and he probably tried really hard to become a Jew, and he probably, you know, he made trips to the temple, and he wasn't allowed in, and he bought this book, and he's reading it, and you know what? Um, we get to the next section. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Nobody in the ancient world read to themselves. Weird little fact, right? People, it was very unusual for people to read quietly. They would read out loud. That's just how it was done. I, I assume the technology didn't exist yet. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> And the man reading Isaiah the prophet, do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked. That's a pretty basic question, right? Do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. Now let's hard stop right there. This is a man who can afford the nicest car in the city, right? This is a man who can afford a book when no one owned paper because it was too expensive. This is a man who traveled all the way from his home in Ethiopia by chariot to the temple and wasn't allowed in. And no one explained to him what Isaiah meant. Like no one took the time to talk to this guy to say, this is what Isaiah is talking about. No one. 
I, I say this to put it into context, like what level socially this fellow would have been at. Do you understand? Nobody. I mean, if you come to me with a Bible question, I, there are a couple of you guys who can attest. If you call me in the middle of dinner with a Bible question, I will stop eating. I will step away from my plate, which is a huge thing for me, and I will answer your Bible questions. You know why? Because I love explaining the scriptures, right? Religious people, we love explaining the scriptures. We love talking. We do. We love showing how smart we are. We love showing how learned we are. You want to read, like if you read the Gospels and read about the teachers of the law or the experts of the law or the scribes, those guys love to hear themselves talk. And they ask crazy questions so they could break into the minutia. And those guys wouldn't talk to this fellow to explain the book of Isaiah. Like, he is unloved. And Philip, with his running shoes on, comes to the chariot, runs up, and says, do you understand what you're reading? He says, how can I? No one will explain it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And this, was the pa- and this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Now, this is kind of a cool passage for a lot of reasons. This is um, Isaiah 53, right? We all know it because it's kind of the gospel in the Old Testament. This is talking about Jesus, how he was cur- you know, pierced for our transgressions. He was broken for our iniquities. Like this is the passage to preach the gospel from the Old Testament. Um, and like Philip is there at exactly the right moment and he is able to say, my Lord Jesus is who he's talking about. He stood silent before his accusers. He was humiliated. He was deprived of justice. By the way, a eunuch, a guy, eunuchs cannot have descendants. Do we all understand this? This is a man whose biggest curse in trying to approach God is that he can never have children. Not having children was considered to be a curse from God. Um, And so the fact that this guy definitely wasn't having kids... um, Who can speak of his descendants? Oh, my goodness. Broken, lost, hopeless, not welcome in the door. And what does Philip do? Come on. Doors open. You are welcome here. My Jesus died for you. My Jesus poured out his blood for you. And in fact, actually, he probably just kept reading because Isaiah said it better than Philip probably would have. Yet, and this is the next little section here, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an and excuse me, though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear the iniquity and he will bear their iniquities therefore i will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils of the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors and he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors i wish i could read this passage with people all day every day like this is one of those ones like i have talked to folks for years anybody all right raise your hand if you have heard someone say this in your lifetime 
I cannot deal with God and I cannot deal with Christians because they're judgmental and I don't want to hear about how God doesn't love me because I'm a bad person. Anybody heard that? Anybody said it? The truth of the gospel, the good news for the lost, for the hopeless, for the empty, for the unloved, for the worthless, for the rejected, for the losers, for the, the waste of space people is that Jesus died for you to make you, to make you his. Um, Rebecca sang two fantastic songs today for this, right? Um, and actually, I grabbed up the lyrics to one of them before I left the house. I didn't know she was singing it. And so, um, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. And so Philip sits with this wretch and tells him, Jesus died to make you one of us. Jesus died to adopt you into the family of, you know, in the family of God. Like, you are one of us. Forever and ever and ever you will be one of us because Jesus died for you. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here's some water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? You can almost hear that on the eunuch, right? I'm not welcome there. What stands in the way of me walking into the temple? Well, a big door and a death sentence. You know, what stands in the way of me becoming a Jew? Well, I'm missing some parts. I can't be, right? What stands in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch sat down, or went down to the water, and Philip baptized him. And when he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. And so Philip did his job. And the Spirit of the Lord said, all right, pull your running shoes on because you are gone. And he was gone. And the eunuch went on rejoicing. That was Isaiah 53. He probably went on rejoicing, and then he read Isaiah 56 because it was like two chapters later. And if I was that excited about one chapter, I'd probably read the next couple. And in Isaiah 56, we come across, for this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them To them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. And it's like, oh my gosh, can you imagine reading that after like finding out God accepts me and then no, because you have decided this is the life I'm going to live. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to be this guy. I am redeemed. I belong to the family of God and I get something better than the sons and daughters that I never will have. Like, Oh, wow. And God lined this up like over a thousand years before the guy was born. These passages lined up. What do we do with all this? I mean, it's a lot, right? And I'm, I'm excited about it. First off, we can't be cheers because we don't have a norm. But we have something better, right? We have something better. We don't fill people with spirits. We fill them with the spirit. Everybody knows your name here, and they should, right? Everybody should speak your name every once in a while, talking to Jesus in the middle of the night. It's true. 
when you carry weight, you should be able to come here and hear, no matter how screwed up you are, no matter how many times you've fallen on your face, no matter how bad it is, Jesus died for you. Like, that is what we should be. Samaritans. Um, <laughs> this eunuch fella. But think about every other person we don't, you know, that doesn't think they're welcome in the door. The addict, the alcoholic, the 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 you know guy who's addicted to pornography, the the you know woman who's lost everything and you know or given everything away too many times or whatever. I mean, like these are the people who are welcome. These are the people that died, like that Jesus died for. And so, like as a church, we should be a welcoming place. And part of our strategy in doing ministry, this is something I haven't talked about enough. I'm going to talk about it a little more in the coming weeks. Part of our strategy in ministry is looking for ways to make people feel welcome when they walk in the door. We do the brisket cook-off, right? That is a great big lunch where we invite people who don't know Jesus or who don't maybe go to church anywhere, who don't feel comfortable in churches, right, in the door. And we say, come in, sit down, eat lunch with us. Right, and I, I actually I sat with a with a family in the tent last year, and I talked to this gal, and and she was um, from up in Box Elder, and we talked about her history and her family and everything else. We talked for about forty minutes that day, and she said, "You know, it's really great that you guys invite us in to do this." Right? I mean, we don't share the gospel at that event um, because I think a lot of times people come to churches and they expect us to sell them something. Anybody ever catch an Amway pitch? They, they sort of look at us like the Amway of the spiritual world. Come in here. Let me tell you what you can do for, I mean, what we can do for you. <laughs> How do we sell you on the stuff that we're doing? It's not what we're after. Like a lot of times we invite people in just to make them comfortable and get to know them. To say, hey, we're your neighbors. We love you. We're doing this for you. Um, next week we're going to do this with, with our Halloween party. If you look at how folks in this community organize their lives, and you say, what is important to these people based on how they organize their lives? Number one, with a bullet and an exclamation point, is going to be their kids. It's the truth, isn't it? How many folks do you know live in a camper all summer so they can take their kids to swim practice or to swim meets or to swim whatever? It's true. How many folks drive halfway across the world to go to a soccer game? Because we organize our lives around our children. That's why we do that Halloween party, by the way. We do it because we're inviting people in. Because sometimes putting your shoes on and running to the lost means opening the doors and inviting people in. Is it comfortable? Not always. You know why? Because lost people are dirty. And they don't understand how we do things. And sometimes they're going to spill their coffee on the carpet. Kids do that too. Get off my lawn. Um, But putting our feet in our running shoes sometimes means being willing to do things that are uncomfortable, being willing to do things that are hard so that we can show folks we love you. We had a gal who came to church here for about a year before she moved out of the area who the first time she walked in the door was at our Halloween party. It took her three months to come again, and she had to talk someone into coming and sitting with her because she was scared to come to church. Um. And I talked to her on a number of occasions. She would say, I, you guys, I've never met people who loved me the way you people love me, right? And I've gotten phone calls from her over the years where she said, Eric, I'm struggling with this, and I don't know who else to talk to. That is what we're shooting for, right? 
when people are struggling and hurting, I, when people are struggling and hurting and they call me in the middle of the night and interrupt what I'm doing, I am happy for the opportunity to tell them that Jesus loves them. I pull on my running shoes or my slippers sometime, depending on how late in the day it is. That's an ins- yeah, that's an inside joke. Um, <laughs> because, man, I'm glad somebody did that for me. I start going to church, and I will shut up pretty soon. I'm sorry. But I am spent a lot of time praying, and this is rattling around in my head, and I'm feeling energy about it, and, and I think this is on purpose. Um, I started going to church 25 years ago um, because my neighbor invited me to a picnic, and she was the only friend I had. Um, She was my only friend when I was in junior high, the only person I ever hung out with. And she was like five years older than me. Uh, You know, it was, and we would hang out. And she invited me to a volleyball game and picnic. And I ate lunch with these folks. I played volleyball with them. And they were the nicest people I'd ever met in my, like, life that weren't my family. And I wanted nothing but to be there. I wanted nothing but to have what they had because they invited me in the door they pulled me aside and said, hey, you know, we're glad you're here. Hey, thanks for joining us. Hey, it's really, you know, are you having a good time? Guys, I'm going to ask you, and Rebecca, like as a closing here, Rebecca saying this, I'm going to say it. Guys, if we're the body, right? What's the line? If we're the body? Why, why aren't his hands reaching? Why aren't his arms reaching? Why aren't we his voice? Why aren't we inviting people in the door? Why aren't we chasing after folks? Why aren't we being that? Why aren't we pulling our running shoes on today? And there are opportunities everywhere. There's a food bank here that does good stuff, that invites people in the door every week. There's this party we got next week where we're going to invite people from the community in the door. The first year we did that, we had a bunch of folks from different churches in the community come out, like senior citizens. They sat and they watched, and I talked to them afterwards. I said, what, what are you doing here? Like, you don't have kids here. I said, you know what? I love seeing this many children in the church. That has hung on my heart for seven, six years now. Put on your running shoes, folks. We've got a lot of work to do. They're unloved, unwelcome, people who think the church hates them, people who think the church is here to judge them. And my question is, if that's how they feel, like, if we're the body, why aren't we reaching? I'm going to close in prayer. I'm going to let you go. Heavenly Father, uh, pray that you be with us. I pray, uh, first off, to thank you just that I had a bad week and that I had an opportunity to spend a lot of time praying and that you put things on my heart. And, Lord, I, I pray that the things you put on my heart, that, that they, you know, that they landed where they were supposed to land, Lord. And if I was just talking from my own, from my own will and my own self, Lord, I pray that they would have fallen flat. Um, I pray that, Lord, you would touch the hearts of the people here and give us passion. Give us passion to pe- be people who love folks the way Jesus loves them, to, to sacrifice of ourselves, to pour our own selves out, Lord. I pray that you would make us into people who love the people who nobody loves. Help us to love them beyond reason us to welcome in folks who look and say what you want me here because lord we do we we want folks here who nobody loves because we know that you love them we know that you poured your blood out for them we know that you you've chased after them and it's our job to be the body reaching out pulling people in healing the hurts and pray lord that when it's uncomfortable that we would dig in and stand firm that we would pray and seek you out, Lord. 
Help us to be that every day in Jesus' name. Amen. What? Oh.